All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Ida Zetterstrom. Ida is a European drag racer who lives and breathes racing. She's the 2019 Super Street Bike Champion and is currently the European record holder for Top Field Dragster. She grew up in her dad's workshop, spending hours at the racetrack with her family as her father raced classes such as Pro Stock and Pro Modified or worked with other race teams and the track quickly became her favourite place. She started driving at 8 and at 16 she got her Super Comp Dragster's licence. In 2017, she started racing in the Class Super Street Bike, the European version of the US Class Pro Street Bike. In 2019, the team competed in the Scandinavian Championships with a new bike known as Lucky Number 13. In the third race of the championship, it ended with the team's very first win, making Ida the first woman to ever win the Scandinavian Super Street Bike Class. The final race of the year ended with a second place finish in the event and the team also stood as the overall winners in the Scandinavian Championship, making Ida the first woman to ever win a Super Street Bike Championship. In July 2020, Ida became the first woman to ever clock a six second run in the Super Street Bike class and all classes driven on street tyres and without wheelie bars, doing so at 6.985 seconds and 205.9 miles an hour. In the first official FIA event of 2022, Ida and the team set a new European record of 3.782 seconds and were the first team to ever clock a 3.7 second pass in Europe. And she's only getting started and is one to watch. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute joy to have somebody that I found on social media, was blown away by, and you've got a real badass job. But for people who maybe don't recognise your name, could you give a quick introduction and tell people what you do because you've got a dream job? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me and hi- thanks for asking me to be on. Uh, my name is Ida Setterström. I'm I'm a drag racer. I wish I could say that was my work. Uh, I'm hoping one day to make it my work. Uh, I have a company on the side working full-time in marketing too, but what I do on the racetrack is what sets my soul on fire. And I drive a top fuel dragster for RF Motorsport and we currently have the European uh, record at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I have a really fun time <laughs> with my team on the track. And one day I hope to make it make it my work because, like I said, that's where I love it. <laughs> well, I know. Um, and was that was that the race? Was it 3.872 seconds? That was uh, 3.78, yeah. Yeah, so that was, the, that was the European record. It was also the first time someone has ever gone below 3.8 like uh, the first 3.7 in Europe so that was a really exciting event for us and I think everybody was just thrilled 
it's phenomenal. I mean, you've broken that record. You've got so many accomplishments. You were the first person to ever like go onto the podium in certain classes and stuff like that. And I love how you still consider yourself a rookie. You know, it's still like, yeah, I'm just getting started, and you're going <laughs> to go places. But I'm really interested in like your inspiration because you came, you were raised in a sort of small island just off between is it Sweden and um, Finland. Yeah, um, I was raised in Sweden from the beginning. Uh, I grew up in Järfälla, it's a bit outside of Stockholm. Um, so I'm born there and I lived there until I was 12. Then we moved over to Åland Island, where I live now. My mom is from here and my dad is from Sweden. So I'm half Swedish, half Finnish. Uh, the island where I live is a Finnish island, but we speak Swedish here. So it's a little bit mixed. So I'm I'm definitely half Swedish, half Finnish. And <laughs> That's a good uh, mix to be. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm all 100% Scottish and I'm completely weird. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, so am I. So <laughs> the nationality doesn't fix that. So do you think like because like like we we're discussing before we started like that coming from a small place like that you kind of focus on your passions you know it's you get you know a lot of times we don't have much to do so when you pick up a hobby you know you were around your dad in the workshops and your tools and engines from like about you know a really young age you started getting into racing at 8 years old did your upbringing in that small island really hit build up this love of racing love of engines working with your you know working with your dad etc yeah well i think um most of the like inspiration or so on to for me to become who i am is you know being at the racetrack being in the in the garage with my dad and and just having the whole family being out out on racing um so i mean since i was 12 when we moved to Åland island i had already raced for for some years and I have been at the racetrack since I was three weeks old so when we lived in Sweden we we went to to races mostly around Sweden but also Finland Norway and so on so um that was I kind I think like being at the racetrack growing up around it is definitely one of the main factors that I fell in love with the sport so early uh, but also like me and my sister had the same upbringing we've both been at the racetrack with mom and dad and we have both been in the workshop but she has not raced and i wanted to race instantly so it kind of just shows how di- different you can be with the same upbringing i mean she she still loved it at the racetrack and everything like that but uh, i hear a lot of people saying that usually when kids get into racing it's only because of their parents their parents being in it and of course it's a big factor of they kind of helped me fall in love with it, so to say. They gave me the possibility to be there uh, and to fall in love with it. But I think there's there has to be something more for you to want to pursue it and to continue with it. I mean, it, it's perfectly true. I mean, it's like I'm similar with that, like with my brother. You know, I'm into podcasting and that, and he's into being a, a bit of a dick. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> so you've got this kind of, you know, you can completely different personalities by... But I like that where you have parents who, you know, if you want to be involved in it, you can be. If you want to merge your own path, and I like how that they encourage you, but they didn't force you into their path. Exactly, yeah. Did I mean, normally when people say, like, a female's career, drag racing would not be <laughs> the first one. And Sweden, I was surprised. You know, I didn't think that was a sort of an epicenter for racing, but there's a whole series of racing and there's all these phenomenal classes, bike racing, drag racing, etc. Did you uh, sort of encounter resistance when you were younger? I mean, I know 
like coming from Scotland, as some of the younger girls, like I was um, at school in the eighties, they were kind of pushed away from potential male dominated industries. You know, it was accepted that they would do certain mm-hmm. things, which is complete BS. Thankfully, now it's changing. But did you encounter any kind of resistance from friends or people saying, "No, no, don't go down that. You should do this, the safe career." No, I have to say, uh, drag racing in general is is so open to all, you know, genders, uh, ethnicities, and just age, whatever. You can be eight years racing, or you can be ninety years racing. And I see uh, that on your social media. Good, yeah, and that's kind of the good thing about it. And and also, what I think is so great is that, you know, when you start at eight years old, uh, they never separate women from men we always race together so awesome like when when you grow up like me being at the racetrack and being around the young kids racing they were a mix of you know the the eight-year-olds and 18-year-olds and the girls and the boys and it was never strange so i think that's why it kind of never been any pressure put on the fact that you are a girl just because it's been so normal from the beginning at least for us that are in you know, the drag racing industry, of course, looking from the outside, um, it's, you can easily say, oh, it's it's not that common for women to be in it. But to be honest, there's a lot of women in drag racing and there's a lot of women, you know, dominating, setting records, being just awesome at what they do. And when I speak to people, sometimes when, you know, they may not be as uh, involved in drag racing or, you know, just don't know that much about it. And they say, oh, so you set the record. And so uh, how many girls were it in the class? Yeah, well, we were three girls, but but they were also this many boys. Okay, but but you always only raced with the girls, right? No, we raced with, with girls and boys. Like, if I set a record, it's not a women record. It's a record, period. Like, it's a, it's a record for everybody. So it's that's what I think is so good about it. And uh, I, I think, I, I can't say I had any resistance, like... Um, of course, there's always going to be someone that doesn't think that girls should do uh, mm. male sports like that or find it uh, dangerous or so on. But I mean, I, I also did gymnastics on quite a high level when I was younger. And I have hurt myself way more doing gymnastics than I've ever done doing drag racing. <laughs> and I think that says a lot. I have friends, you know, that does horseback riding. I'm like, that that's dangerous. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, oh, I've, drag racing I, is yeah. safe. <laughs> When you've been when you've been near a few horses and you kind of go bloody hell, <laughs> you know, you, you realize how small and insignificant we are to compared to a lot of wildlife. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I can remember back in school, we had to fight to get um, a girl who used to play football with us every single day, and she wasn't allowed to play in the school football league because she was a girl. Okay, you know, and it was yeah. it was this silly kind of belief about that that's a girl sport, that's a boy sport, and yeah. thankfully it's all changing and people are getting more involved and. You know, I said to people, oh, I'm interviewing this really amazing, like, um, drag race. And, like, as soon as I said you were female, what? You know, and it was, it was the like, people had these beliefs that yeah, there were so many certain sports you could do. And I love how you're, you're becoming an ambassador for the sport. You're encouraging so many people into it. But you're also opening in people's eyes that this can be a sport for everybody. Because you remember your social media, was she seven or eight years old? Like, and she's on a little kick Yeah, the little girl, Indy. Yeah, she's awesome. And she also she races both the Union Drag Bike and the Union Dragster. And, I mean, now she can try them both and she can see what she likes best. When I started, they didn't really have Union Drag Bikes. It was only Union Dragsters. Uh, 
when I went over to racing bikes, uh, when I got a little older, the thing is, there is a slight difference, I would say, racing cars and racing bikes uh, in drag racing, being a woman, just because there haven't been as many women racing bikes as there have been women racing cars. So I have to say there were more like attention to me being a woman in the sport when I did race the bike, especially since there hadn't really been a woman that did it, uh, so to say, on that level that we did it. Uh, that's why we also, I mean, we set records. We were the first women to ever win an event, first women to ever win a series in uh, in the series that we ran. So I think it was bigger, um, like, attention on me being a girl uh, on the bike side. But I also think it's because... The, there were no real bike class for girls to start in in a young age and then the step to starting you know in a bigger class uh, can be quite quite high so to say but now when the junior drag bikes are getting bigger and we see a lot of good girls racing in the junior drag bikes class too i think this is going to change in the upcoming years because we've already seen it changing uh, from let's say uh eight years after I raced junior dragsters, they started coming out with the junior drag bikes and we saw some girls getting on it. And those girls, they were successful in higher drag bike classes after that. So I think it starts with the kids and it starts with what we show is possible uh, and just don't make it such a big thing, so to say, to be a girl in it. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to get them leveling up throughout the ranks. And um, I, I just, I really look forward to seeing it. And was that what you kind of noticed? Because when you've gone through the sort of the junior ranks, you've gone through the racing the cars, the top, like the top of the top classes you can go, you've rode bikes, etc. Is that what you kind of noticed that when you look back at it now, that people were more surprised that there were so few girls? Or, you know, was there something else you noticed about how the races were set up or how it was kind of male dominated as they got there or do you think you know like why do you think people are kind of like oh a girl racing yeah why why is that a big deal do you think compared because you've gone through all the classes raced some amazing people what have you noticed about the changes as you've progressed up the ranks well like i said i think the the drag bike was the the biggest difference from like being a girl uh from the other classes uh, when i hear guys being surprised that there's girls in the car classes uh, it kind of surprises me because there's been girls and really great girls for many mm -hmm. years but usually it just shows that uh, maybe they haven't been following drag racing for as long so they didn't know that there have been a lot of girls from from you know earlier years and uh, well, they're course, too busy stuck in their caves aren't they you know being <laughs> cavemen <laughs> But like on the bike side, I do get that it got more attention and it was questioned more just because there hadn't been that many girls. Of course, there had been some, but there hadn't been that many. And I mean, we set really high goals and we we wanted to be kind of, I mean, for me, it wasn't about being the first women to do anything or like setting a standard for women or whatever. For me, it was just, I, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the fastest. I wanted to beat everybody. <laughs> and <laughs> it kind of like this girl aspect of it kind of just, uh, it just happened on the side. And I was just, you know, when, when we set a record or when we won an event or something, it was always kind of extra pushed that it was the first time a woman did it. And in the beginning, it kind of bugged me because I was like, so what? I'm a woman. Why, why do we have to, you know, why do we have to, uh, 
talk about the fact that I'm a woman when I won. But then when I also saw, you know, other women uh, reaching out to me or coming up to me saying like the fact that you were the first woman doing this, or you were the first woman that won that, you were the first woman to run a six second on an old wheelie bar bike or so on. And they said that inspired me to get into running a no wheelie bar bike or that inspired me to run this year. That's when my eyes kind of opened and I got more like open to, uh, I wouldn't say I promote that I'm the first woman to do anything, but if someone else does it, I don't get bugged by it because I feel Mm. if that helps someone else to want to get into this, then that's exactly what I want. Like I want more, more women to see that we can do, we can do anything. And just because they're a guy doing it and no girl has done it before like just because no one has done it before that's not an issue someone has to do it just get there and do it and i know like on the bike side there was a little bit harder being a woman and women from beginning just because it's harder physically like to be a woman on the bike like when you go 350 kilometers an hour almost you're you're literally hanging on to the handlebar like pushing yourself on the bike to stay on it and you have to you know still correct the bike when needed and so on and that's really physically demanding Uh, while i think drag racing is a really mental sport like the mental part of it is, is so big but on the bike it was also a big physical part of it like i remember uh, having my legs positioned a little bit differently when I had new foot pegs put on and I couldn't really get my knees in, which made made it impossible for me to like squeeze onto the bike when I was going down track. And, you know, the wind kind of pushed my leg out. And when you push your leg out, you, stru- you start to steer the bike. So like the bike started steering in another direction and we had to, you know, change the foot pegs and so on so there's a lot of those things you have to think about and I had to you know hit the gym to get more strength and kind of uh, be able to do it but but it's not impossible like for me that's just a part of the challenge and it's kind of something that made it even more fun for me that you know that there were so many aspects of it that you kind of had to Mm. conquer to to be able to you know get good at it. Because that's what bugged me was like everybody kept talking about, oh, she's female, this, she's a female race. And I was like, no, she's just an amazing driver. You know, she's just broken a record. Why does it matter about your sex? And that's what I saw. There was such a complicated thing. And I was thinking, well, you, you know, sadly, there hasn't been somebody before you that's kind of shown that there's, you know, so you can get, you can be that person that breaks down that wall, that BS stereotype that. You know, like, oh, only men are good drivers, blah, blah, blah. You're showing people how amazing you can be, and you're inspiring the next generation of kick-ass drivers and stuff. And that's what I think you're doing so good as well. You're always on social media. You're always communicating. You're, you know, getting out there and um, meeting your fans and encouraging them. And, you know, you're inspiring them to then go and be who they can be in their life. And that's such an amazing thing. But when you said you found your happiness at the racetrack, you know, at what point did it? Did you think this is just going to be a nice hobby for me? But at what point did you realize, hey, I'm bloody good at this? You know, <laughs> and now you can make this as a career. You can start getting sponsors. You can win races. You know, you can go up the ranks and up the grades. Wait, what? What is it about the the racetrack that really inspires you? And was there a point that you thought, yeah, this is for me. This is who I am. Yeah. Yeah, well, before I get into that, I I just have to say, like, uh, with the 
females in the industry. If you're looking at what I do now with like top fuel, there has been a lot of kick-ass women doing that before me. And I mean, the, the champion uh, the years before uh, has been Anita Makle. We have had, we, they just they just had a new champion like two days ago in um, NHRA US, Brittany Force. She has been a champion before. We have Erica Anders over in US has done it several times, a fifth time in pro stock. And we have, you know, Angel Sampe. We have so many Mm-hmm. good drivers uh women that have you know just killed it and crushed it so for me to be the first woman wasn't anything big in in the drag racing industry as a whole it was just in this class that we run and the thing is with super street bike that i run it's like a super ultra hairy drag bike class we have like 750 horsepower running no wheelie bar bikes uh street tire and and it was kind of in that um uh, in that class, I was able to, you know, make a move and, and show that there's a space for women too in that class. But like in drag racing overall, women has crushed it for years. And I think you mentioned social media. And I think with the social media, we are able to show it more and more. I think if you look back 20 years ago, there were still women crushing it. Uh, but if you look up it up now, you have to kind of find articles about it. I mean, you can't look on Instagram on the same way to see it, but there's been women <laughs> crushing it for a long time. Definitely. But yeah, to- I think this is the first time, like you, like you say, I would go and find, drag, you know, like I was put in like, looking at things and you know i came across you on social media i was like oh my god this is amazing and then as i start finding people who you said were role models it's like whoa watch this video of them it's click and it's, it's like you're saying it's you're now getting a chance to be in people's lives to get eyeballs on the amazing stuff you do whereas maybe yeah. before it was kind of it was like a sort of more like a smaller sport in a way you know it was like it had to be mm, passionate it- fans and it now kind you're... of depends on where you are, I think. Like in US, it's like drag racing is the biggest. You In US, it's the biggest like drag racing uh, area, so to say. And over there, I think people have known about women in drag racing for a long time. But I do think over in Europe, uh, it has been a smaller sport. And like you said, you have to be kind of diehard fans to know everybody that's running and, and who has been, you know, moving up through the ranks throughout the years and so on. But yeah drag race uh, like instagram social media overall it kind of gives us this portal to show off what we are doing and why we are loving it and that we get to inspire people on the same time that's just fantastic and i think that's how we grow and that's how we get more women into the sport more kids into the sport and just more more people overall and i mean is that what you're enjoying now or do you just still enjoy that you know that race the the moment before the lights change you know what what is your happiness at the racetrack is it just being part of it all you know fine-tuning the engine getting the 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 maximum effectiveness out of this engine working with your team etc or is there a particular part of it that makes you like truly happy to be racing yeah it's hard to just pick like one thing it feels like if you're a like a hardcore drag racing it's your lifestyle it's your whole like i don't know it's your whole being (laughs) it's uh, it's not just you know going to the racetrack a few times a year so the thing is for us over here in europe our race seasons are so short so we don't have as much track time as they do in us if you look at at the races in us you look at like an nhra series they have about 22 races a year and then you you know you race Friday to Sunday, you're at like 
actively on the track on that time and then the other is traveling to and from races and so on which means that you are gone a lot during a year and you kind of are in this racing atmosphere all the time but for us over here our season starts like in late may and it ends in early september so we don't have that many events and we have a lot of downtime which is for me the absolute hardest because that means you're away from the racetrack you're away from all the you know like-minded people you meet at the racetrack you're away from you know the rest of your race team or however your setup may be but it's um, I, I have to say like for me I love all part of it but when I get to the racetrack like when I'm there when I'm around the car around the bike like we have the tent set up and you start to feel like the weekend is ready. Uh, I feel very at peace. Like I can be really nervous, of course, especially when there's a lot on the line. Uh, but I'm really at peace in myself. I don't feel, I don't feel nervous about what I'm gonna do. I feel nervous about, you know, performing. Like, uh, you know, if there's championship points at stake and you really, really want to. You really, really want to just, you know, be the, the fastest and the best and you know what it's like. Uh, that's what you're nervous about. But I'm never nervous about, you know, running the car, uh, being there because I I really feel like that's that's when I think the clearest or so to say. Like when you're actually in the car or on the bike, you make decisions without even thinking about it and it just comes natural and mm. You know, when you're in the car starting up, uh, you don't have anything else in your head than just what you're about to do. It's like everything else is just gone. Uh, you kind of zoom out. But but for me, of course, the actual run is such a thrill. But I wouldn't want to have it without anything like everything else around it. Because mm -hmm. when everything comes together, you know, you have your team. Everybody is trashing really hard to get, you know, the... The absolute best performance out of the car and us as a team and everything it's that's what it's about and the same when we raced the car we built we or when we raced the bike we built them ourselves so like my, my boyfriend Kim built the engines my dad we worked chassis we had a guy in uh, Finland Arto he did all like the electrical systems and uh, ECUs and everything like that and when we came together and worked during the off season Uh, that's also some of the best memories and like it, it's just it's the highlight everything that has to do with racing I mean not a day goes by that I don't work with my racing in some way uh, but that part of the day when I when everything I do is it's racing that's the highlight no matter if it's you know having a sponsorship meeting if it's setting up uh, a presentation for a meeting with a uh I don't know, potential partner or whatever it is, um, as long as it has to do with racing, uh, it just gives me this feeling of, I don't know, happiness and uh, it makes me just want more. Like it makes me just want to work harder and it motivates me just by working uh, with everything around for just, I'm just so eager to like what we can accomplish and what's still to come and, I think that's kind of what just drives you. Like, I'm so far from done, like so far from where I, what I want to accomplish. Um, so what motivated me, it's kind of like, I've only got started, you know. 
I love that, I and mean, it and it certainly comes across your love of, and passion for the sport. And I think that's the thing. It is like somebody says to you, you know, like why do you keep talking about that? Why are you so into it? And you're like, it it becomes part of your being when you find your passion, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really hard to describe it. It's it's all the little things, the feel, the highs, the lows, the different emotions and stuff. And I love how that you have like your dad in the pick who you know you're building engines on well you're on your downtime with your partner your mom helps with the media you know you've made this into a family thing that you've become a family with your pit crew as well but for people who maybe don't recognize how drag races are set up how how are they structured like how do you compete is it literally just lining up and sort of going faster than the other person until you've got the fastest person or um. How, how, for people like myself who are maybe not 100% sure up on drag racing, and you made a fan out of me, but how, <laughs> how, are, how are races set up so we can understand yeah. them? Um, there's a lot of different classes in drag racing. So that's also the beauty of it. I mean, you can be someone that just wants to come with your street car and there's a class for you, or, you know, your street bike, or if you want to modify something a little bit, uh, you, there's a space for you, but there's also space for, for the ones that just want to you know go absolutely mental and, <laughs> and get a, a few thousand horsepowers out of your car or like us that actually go up to 11,000 horsepower and want to just squeeze everything about just out of it so that's the beauty of it but the thing is the track is um a quarter mile so most classes run a quarter mile um but then there's also a few classes like the junior dragsters they run an eight mile so like that's half track uh, and that's because there's still like uh, a, a entry-level class for for the kids to learn so they run the eight mile and then um, us we run a thousand feet so we in top fuel and also funny car are the only ones that run the thousand feet thousand feet is just because they took it down from a uh, quarter mile, 2,000 feet years ago because we started going so fast. And the thing is, when we go so fast, uh, we also have to stop. <laughs> and the racetrack gets a little bit too short <laughs> if we don't have more space. And also, it puts an enormous pressure on all the parts in the engine and the cars itself uh, going that fast for a longer time. So we run 1,000 feet. But usually, when you speak about drag racing, uh, it's the quarter mile or... 1320 you you usually see 1320 um associated with drag racing and 1320 means it's 1320 feet so if you see that somewhere and wonder what the heck is that it just means that it's 1320 feet and that's uh the same as a quarter mile so that's that's the that's the track we go down at we always start from a standstill there's no rolling start or anything it's a standstill and we have a christmas tree the christmas tree kind of has um it has uh, bulbs on the top you lit the first set of the bulbs and then you lit the second set of the bulbs and that means that you are in the position where you should be lined up you know if you look out look back uh, many years ago they were a guy standing in front of uh, the contesters you know just making sure they were on a line and then you had the flags but we have moved over to the christmas tree and that makes sure that that both drivers are in the right position and then you have a, a christmas tree lighting up and this is also different. The pro classes use a pro tree. A pro tree means that there's three yellow bulbs and they will all light up at the same time. And that means it's go time because if you wait until it's green, you are too late. Uh, and then there's also the sportsman classes. The sportsman classes has a sportsman tree. The sportsman tree means that these three lights 
they are falling down. Like there's first one and then the second and then the third. And you should usually go on the third. It depends a little bit on how quick your car reacts. Uh, if you go before you know the, the light starts, um, then you will have a red light. And if you have a red light, you're automatically disqualified. Um, many classes, uh, the so-called pro classes, that's, of course, you have a lot of rules within your class on how to set up the car or what's allowed to run or not. But then those pro classes mean you run as fast as possible. So you could say the fastest one wins, uh, but it actually the first one crosses the finish line wins, which means that reaction times also come into play mm -hmm. because you can be the fastest one but still lose if you weren't quick enough in the start. If the other person... Uh, runs away you know quicker than you do uh, they can outrun you even though they're slower so um that that's why you know reaction time plays a huge part of drag racing too um and then there's also classes where you should run against an index um let's say you should run 850 then you should go as close to 850 as possible and you should not go quicker because if you go quicker then then you're um, eliminated uh, and you run this in a set, like you in a pair. So we usually start on Friday. Uh, the sportsman classes start on Thursday with qualifying. Then we run, we run two, two and two together. But it still doesn't matter who wins or loses. You just qualify your own time. So the time you put on the board is the time that you qualify on. The time starts when you move away from the christmas tree like break that line so even if you would have a reaction time of two seconds that time would not be added to your time on the board it starts when you break the break the beams so to say but that's how you qualify you qualify uh, for two days when you're done with that it's elimination uh, sportsman classes usually start eliminating on saturday and we in the pro classes start eliminating on sunday and when there's elimination they make a ladder so depending on how you have qualified you will then see who who your opponent will be so if it's for example a 16 ladder the in a pro class the number one meets the number 16 uh, and then you just move down from there and in a pair you have the christmas tree light up and you know you leave the starting line and first to cross the finish line goes on to the next round. And then you just move up in this ladder that that you built from the beginning or so to say. And the one that's on top of that ladder in the end of the day, that's the winner. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. I love it. I love how like there's so much there's so much into it, and you know that you can be the fastest and still lose. You know that yeah. you have to work on your cognitive ability. You have to work on your reaction time. You have to, you know be able to deal with being physically able to hang on to a bike that's going at like 
disgusting speeds you know it's like <laughs> there's so much amazing things on it but how do you start prepping yourself for this because i read an article where you said that um you spend like oh, every waking minute trying to become a better athlete you know you work hard every day to improve every aspect of your racing what do you do in terms of like the gym the like you know like when you arrive between your races how what are you doing to become a better athlete a bit you know to get faster off the line to become physically able to you know to deal with the g-forces you're going to be experiencing because mm. when you see your video um from the from your cockpit holy hell that is an amazing but the for the, the forces uh, on you to excel from that line how, how do you start being physically capable to deal with the, that sort of thing yeah yeah just like you say i work all the time to be you know better version of myself and a better racer and that's some that's work that's never going to be done you just have to get a little better each day and uh, it's like with everything in life sometimes you move some steps forward and then you have to reverse a little bit but that's you know when you just pick it up and continue uh it it's so many stuff that goes into it like for me it's about feeling good um of course i have to hit the gym i have a personal trainer that i meet up with once a week and then i have uh, sessions on my own in between uh, because i want to be a very strong version of myself to be able to you know physically handle it and in the car it's not the same it's not the same thing that i actually have to have the muscles to hang on to something like it was with the bike but you also have to think about the g-forces it's a lot of g-forces on you and if you have g-forces you know on your chest so to say they're also underneath your foot and want to push that foot off the pedal and you have to be able to hold it down the whole time because in a car like the one we run that runs on nitromethane with you know 11,000 horsepower if you start to get on and off on the throttle that's when you hear a big boom behind you and you have an explosion and literally see dollar signs in the air so it's really crucial for me and for my team that i can do my job in the car i think for me uh, this has been something that's been going on you know basically my whole life since i've been in racing because everything i've done no matter which class it's been it's kind of prepped me to where i am at the moment so i think if someone coming into top fuel that have never done drag racing before would probably have a whole other uh, like plan on how to get adjusted to it than I had since I have done other stuff before. But it's also, it's the training part of it, of course. Uh, but it's also, you know, for me eating well to be able to maintain my, my energy. Uh, something I struggled a lot with this year because I had COVID in the beginning of the year and it's taken me a long time to get back. And to be honest, I'm not 100% uh, well yet. I have to try and, you know, plan my day so that I can have a few micro naps uh, in the day to like get energy back. But it's like you can't, you can't lay down and think that everything is going to fix itself. You kind of just have to to live with it and work around it. And it is getting better and better. So I think like for next season, I'm going to be in even better shape than I ever was during this season. Um, but then it's also working on reaction time, for example. Uh, and that can be anything from exercises you do in the gym that are kind of, you know, explosive. Uh, but then also have a Christmas tree training <laughs> thing at home where I can actually sit with a pedal uh, and it 
simulate the Christmas tree that we have on the races and I can hit that pedal as hard as I can and I can actually see my reaction time. And when I do this, I know where I'm at and that's the thing I can also... I experimented with stuff like in the beginning of the year, like before the season started. Like if I go to the gym in the morning, will my reaction times get better? If I drink cool. coffee before, will my reaction times get better? Stuff like that. Because it's not going to be the same thing when you're in the car because there's so much other you know elements around it uh, you know sounds and you have to listen to to other stuff and there's just uh, so much adrenaline that you can you can practice with that adrenaline you know when you're at home here uh, but if I have done my work at home and I do it as well as I can and I also know what works best for me then I'm at least in an in the best place I could have prepared myself for when I get into the car uh, but then of course as many times as I hit that throttle in that car the better I get at it because uh, to be honest it, it's really hard like I was finding my reaction times on the bike uh, being good at that and then moving over to the top field is a whole other thing and it took me a long time before I started to get them down uh, but yeah it's, it's stuff like that kind of just not leaving anything to uh, to just you know random <laughs> just trying to control everything that you can to be sure that when you get to the track, you have uh, done all the preparations that you possibly can. I love, I love it because it's you're using that sort of analytical approach of taking away any potential, like you know, drain of your ability. You know, you're kind of yeah. saying, well, when's the best time for the gym? When's the best time for that? And you know, I've seen you talk about how like the the mental side of it is actually the hardest part of it. And I love finding out like from people like you who, who do these amazing things, who can react quickly, you know, what they do in the gym, you know, like there's the, the, you know, the game where there's the different lights, you have different points and you have to try to turn them off as quickly as possible. And you realize like how poor a lot of people's like just reaction time to those kind of lights are. I mean, you're having to do this with. There's a, you've got this amazing vlog about how the car's set up and how you drive and stuff, you know. And it's like there's so much you have to be thinking about and prepping and holding on to and reacting. And like you're saying, if you're going on green, you've already lost. Yeah. How you know? How do you deal with this? Like as you arrive, you know, because you've got to work with the pit crew to set up the car. You've got all these fans wanting to, you know, come up and say how, like, how much you've inspired them. The crowd's roaring. You know, you're feeling all the emotions. How do you keep in the zone? How do you center yourself to focus solely on your racing, or do you think you need every part of it to become the racer you are? Um, I think I have to say, like, on the top fuel side, I'm still such a rookie. I'm still working on getting all my routine there and see what works the absolute best. When I raced with the with the bike, I had done it for a few years. In the beginning, uh, Kim and I both raced bikes in the same class. Uh, it was super hectic and there was so much to do. So in between the runs, uh, I did the clutch on both bikes and there were work for us all to do all the time. And it was so stressful. So usually when they called us down to the line, we just jumped into our gear and we went down. So you you really didn't have any time to think about anything. It was okay. kind of just you did what you had to do and then you got on it and then you ran. But then the last year I ran, or last two years I ran in Super Street Bike, uh, it was only me. Uh, I was the only one running. So Kim didn't run. 
And that made everything really different because uh, that made Kim be able to work on my bike solely. And what I did, of course, if anybody needed help with anything, I jumped in. But what I did then was when I got back, I could sit down with my tuner. We could look at the run, look at the data, and I could explain to him everything that I felt. If I felt like I think we could add more power in this gear because I couldn't feel the front wheel lifting or i could tell him i had issues getting second gear in because the wheel was running so high i had it took me longer to get it in than it usually should or you know just stuff like that or how the bike was feeling or how the gears were feeling or, or so on when i hit my shift points um and he could look at it and he could hear what i said and the feeling i had and he could look at the data and see what we could do there and how how the bike had run uh, and we could actually make adjustment from that and i also had time to you know take the gopros out i could look at the videos that i uh, had from i always had onboard uh, cameras so i could see exactly how i moved on the bike because sometimes you might feel that the bike is doing something but then you look at it and you see it's actually you like you were maybe overcorrecting something a little bit or maybe the wind was coming from one direction and you were sitting slightly you know dispositioned or so so to say so i had so much time to like analyze what i did and think about what we wanted to do to the to the run after uh, and this is when we had such uh, such an improvement in performance of course we also had better stuff because we had made a an enormous work of rebuilding engines and you know we bought a new bike and you know there was a whole lot of things so it wasn't just that but i think for me uh, that's when I was able to to get the best as I ever could as a driver because I had that time in between. But the years before, there were no time for that because I had to put everything into working on on the bike. But now when I move into Top Fuel, it's new again. Uh, first of all, I didn't know the people I was going to work with from the beginning. Uh, luckily, we got to know, know each other really quickly and we really clicked. So we work extremely well together. And that has made like such a big thing for me because it made it so easy for me to move over to a new team when I feel so comfortable with them and I can ask them about anything and we can just have these open conversations about uh, the car or whatever. And it feels, it just feels really easy and genuine. Uh, but I also have a lot of things to do in between. You know, we, we pack the shoots. Like you said, there's fans waiting. And I always want to make sh sure I have time for them, and especially for kids. And, you know, we, we do the fuel, which takes a long time. And it's a really heavy job, which people may not realize because we do it usually inside the trailers so people don't see us. But those jugs, they weigh about 30 kilos each. And we probably do... 20 of them two or three times a day and it's heavy it's like we go from a run where we are exhausted we get in and we have like a full body pump session in the trailer <laughs> so it's a lot of these things but what i what i do do now like i said i haven't totally found uh, my exact routine at the track with the top fuel but i always try to get some time in the car like by myself or just with my team when there's no people around you know wanting an autograph signed or wanting to talk I love that I absolutely do but it's also great for me to get a few minutes to myself before I jump into the car if I'm super nervous I put on a playlist that gets me really pumped and like in TRF I was really nervous and that's what I did I just took some time to myself 
drank some water, I listened to my pump list, and uh, we ended up winning the event. So something must have worked at least. I was I was on on point with my reaction times, which was exactly what I was working on at the moment, and it, it just felt really good. Now that's really impressive because it shows how like how unique it is for like because there's not a lot of people like you who could learn by using your intuition and saying no that felt slightly off or that was maybe not giving me the power that i needed and you know your team could bring out the then could show you the data and then you know you've got the balance of the analytical and then the intuition as well and then to have the ability to kind of zone out and go and like help the crew because i mean you, in your videos you know they show you how how involved you are how you're looking over it etc and then you know you're switching off and you're going off speaking to the fans but then when you come back in how you have to then mentally get prepared and i think you're really and the fact that you're only learning this it's terrifying it just shows you how amazing <laughs> you how far you can go with this because you know you're doing this while you're running another business do you use a lot of visualization you know while you're sitting waiting are you kind of almost mimicking the movements of your hand and your feet what like uh, with your eyes closed while you're listening to the music and you know because they say like mental reps or like Mm -hmm. visualizing activities is almost can mentally be the same kind of thing as actual physical reps of something do you find uh... do you involve visualization and things like that yeah, but I have to say I do that mostly when I'm at home or like let's say we have warmed up the car. Uh, I usually sit in the car for a little bit before I go out because we are waiting for the guys to, to work on the clutch in the back. And when he is done, he tells me that uh, we should try the clutch. So I sit there so that we can make the setup right before I go out, which means I have a few minutes for myself in the car there. And that's also one of the times where I usually like visualize everything I look at everything and also when I'm in the lineup in the car I always feel the pedals I feel everything just feel it through and think about it but what I've found is um when I do this at home um because I I I don't have that much track time so I kind of have to do it my whole at home and I kind of do it when I do the um, reaction time training um uh, I feel very ready when I get to the track. But when I'm actually in the car, uh, I don't want to overdo it because uh, I've been to events where I'm really nervous and I go through it in my head several times when I'm in the car. And that's usually when I mess up yeah, because I'm yeah. kind of too much in my own head with trying to think about what to do. So usually when I'm nervous, I might run it over in my head when I'm in the tow truck like one or two times. And then I just I just let it be. And I just kind of focus not on the actual movements, but like on uh, thinking about how I should steer the car, like how, like being in the being. I'm thinking further ahead than just like the the start line procedure because the start line procedure. I know it will come by itself. I don't have to be in the car thinking about how to put it in reverse and how to do anything because I I do know that. Uh, I know that part I you know doing the licensing and being you know really really new at it I I did have to (laughs) have to run this in my head right before too because I hadn't sort of you know locked it in my brain yet 
but now I kind of feel like that part is just going to flow once the car starts. Uh, so I'm focusing more on what I'm actually doing down track. And it, this is the same that I did with the bike because like, I remember, you know, when COVID hit, we couldn't, we couldn't go racing for a long time. So it's, it had been over a year when I went uh, to sit on the bike for the first time. Um, on the trip up, I think we, we were, you know, on like an eight or nine hour road trip. And I just kept thinking, do I remember what to do? Like, you know, started getting into my own head. Like, do I even remember how to do, a, how to go out to the burnout properly? Stuff like that. Uh, but the thing was, when we started up the bike, like there was no thought in my head about what to do. I just did it because it's there. So um, I think for me, this is, of course, different for everybody. But for me, I don't want to overdo it because I can easily get too much into my head if I uh, repeat it time after time after time just before the actual run I would rather repeat it when I'm home uh, or when I'm you know hours before days before but then when I'm in the car I kind of just let my intuition run uh, and that's usually what works best for me I love it because that just shows because like, you're like me I mean if I keep thinking about something I'll I will go mad like I'll talk myself out of it i'll think oh i'm i'm gonna mess up you know you get stuck into your own head and i think yeah, that's... you kind of just have to trust yourself kind of like get into that mode that okay i don't have to repeat this a uh, hundred times before the starting line because i do know what it's like like i have done this enough times now i'm just uh secure in my own ability to do it and kind of mm. just yeah like I mean, you said like channel it and do it <laughs> It's probably why you like that you enjoy, you know, like filling up the fuel, packing the shoots. You know, you're giving yourself a distraction away from it. You know, you like going and speaking to the fans as well because it lets you just zone out of the focus on it. You know, like because I can imagine it must be quite terrifying the thought sometimes, especially like you're saying, like coming back from COVID and going, I'm about to go on something that can potentially fire me down this length of track in three seconds four seconds you know like i mean you uh, listened to one episode where you talked about um the unfortunate accident your boyfriend had and you know like that you'd seen him crash and you were terrified about it but your first reaction was okay i need to do a run just to kind of get back onto the let that the the to be able to do that shows your mental strength you know, to be able to like show the empathy and like make sure he's okay and speak to him in the hospital, etc. But to have the the mental strength to be able to say, no, I need to get back on this. I just need a run to kind of get back on the horse to overcome that demon again. Because a lot of people would have said, no, you know, that's just not for me. And then I think you had was it an ex accident you had on the bike. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is with this, I mean, I've, I've never been afraid uh, to run either the car or the bike or anything I've ever done. I've never thought about. Of course, you know what can happen, and you, you're not you're not just being uh, how to say you 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 know the risks, but it's not ever something that I'm afraid of. And I, when I'm nervous, I'm never nervous about running the actual car or running the bike. Uh, I have to say, like, of course getting back uh, into the car or on the bike the first time for the season when you've been out of it for like eight months, of course you have like jitter and it's of course nervous because you haven't done it for so long, but I'm never afraid of it. But the nervous part for me is when it's actually race day. So like now when I get to the track, um, 
when you have had your first run, all the other runs after that, like during qualifying, I don't feel any nervousness. It comes on race day because that's, you know, when I know that the pressure is on for real and that's, you know, you you just really, really want to be at the top of the podium at the end of the day and you want to visualize that and that's what gets you nervous. But just what you're talking about, like when Kim crashed, uh, that was a horrible crash. And, you know, I was standing behind him when he crashed because I was going to run after him. So we saw it and it took quite a long time before they could even confirm he was alive. I think it was like 20 minutes or so. And those 20 minutes were extremely hard, of course. And then, you know, getting to the hospital together, he had a big surgery because he broke his his hip and his thigh bone in two places uh, all of that was like it was the biggest accident I had been you know that close to of course you've seen accidents but it hadn't been someone you know that I love so dearly that's actually in the accident so I kind of knew then that uh, I have no idea how my brain is going to work uh, in a month after this if it's gonna make me scared of this in any way so I don't want to take that risk like I, I want to jump on the bike as soon as possible to kind of like just show myself that there's no issue um, and we went out there and we set a new personal best and it was it was a great feeling and I think it was a great feeling for Kim too he was watching uh, from the hospital from like the wake up he had a live stream running there and he was also one of the guys that you know, told me, I said to him, I think I should run. And he said, I think you have to. So we, we set it up and I went there. But then, like you said, I had my own accident uh, a few months later, actually, or I think it was even five or six weeks after. Uh, the hard thing about that was I wasn't hurt in any way or so. I was just, you know, scratching bruises and stuff. But the the bike was so damaged that I could not get back onto it. And, you know, my leathers were ripped and everything. So I couldn't get back onto the bike. Uh, and it was the last race of the season and I had just purchased the bike in US that I went over to race uh, like three months after which meant that I would have no uh, way of being on a bike until I was going to the world finals in US and running you know over there for the first time ever on a bike I've never sat on Uh, but that was kind of that's kind of when you have to get into that mental stage that like okay uh this is not going to beat me. Like I kind of did, I kind of never let those thoughts even get into my head. I was just kind of like, all right, it, it was shit. It happened, but we have this new thing that just, you know, racing in us had been on my bucket list and something I would love to do for such a long time. And this was a happy time for me. So I was just like, I'm going to get on the bike and we're going to, just set a new personal best or run as quickly as we can and I'm not gonna let this you know get to me like I I just won't so I mean I I don't think you appreciate just how uniquely talented that is you know to be able to just go to see something so horrific and then go okay I I need to get back into this work I'm going to do it for both of us and then to go and smash a PB you know to do something that would have mentally crushed a lot of people to to be able to do that and to to share that passion with somebody and to find somebody that loves it, you know, you build like cars and um in your spare time together and go touring and stuff like that. And it's, I think it's it's really difficult that to to teach that, you know, that ability to kind of go, okay, 
I've seen, I've done, I had a bad run or whatever, but I'm not going to let it mentally get to me. What do you do when, you know, you've had a really terrible run? You know, you've stalled on the line or you've been beaten really badly by somebody. How do you kind of review the data? How do you look at what happened, shake it off, but learn from it? Yeah, I think this is a really hard part about racing, but it's also something that you have to get really good at and work on. And and to be honest, I still have work to do here too, because the thing is, uh, when you have a bad run, which you will, I mean, you can't win all the races and you can't uh, set records every run. So so you will have uh, bad events. And we had a, a really hard event on on our last event this year. Uh, and the thing is, it's very easy to let it get to you. And I think, of course, it's all right to be, you know, upset about it or like sad about it for a little while. But then you have to try and shake it off because you have to focus on the next one. And if you get too stuck in, you know, thinking about something that went wrong or like what what didn't work or so on, um, you're kind of missing opportunities to to do better at next time. But something I also think is super important is you have to be critical, you know, from about yourself and about your team and about everything. Because if you want to be better all the time, you can't have a bad run and come in and just be like, oh, that was shit, we try next time. You have to look at it like, what happened? Why? What did I do wrong? Uh, what did anyone else do wrong? And not not to like put blame on anyone. It's not about that. It's we have to learn where we can be better. Uh, so if we find that it's a part that was bad, then we know that, okay, we have to look into these parts. Are there more parts that are bad? Uh, maybe we have to switch to another brand. Why did this part go bad? Is it something else we have to change, you know, in the setup? Uh, if I messed up, you know, having a you know bad reaction time or doing something wrong during the run, I have to look at my runs. Why did I have a bad reaction time now? Did I do anything else differently? What? Why did this happen? Why? What distracted me? Uh, or also like, how? How did I run? Did I do? Did I mess up anywhere? Like I want to know uh, because. I'm like I said on this, I mean, on the super street bike, I'm sure I've never had a perfect run. And I think most racers know that perfect runs do not exist. I mm. mean, our record setting European record run, yeah, we had a blower belt off and I was drifting towards the center line and miles per hour was way down. It was not a perfect run. Could have been, you know, better. But that's the thing. You don't just go in and you'll be like, ah, oh, it's good enough. Because good enough is not good enough. Like you have to look at what you can do better as a driver or as a team or, or to fix on the car or the bike or whatever. And I think that's that's what you have to put your focus. When you have a shitty day or a shitty run or whatever, you have to put your main focus on why was it a shitty run and what can we do to make it a great run, the next one, instead of just, you know, letting it get to you mentally. Uh, because you know that you can do more than that. Like, it's... There, I'm happy if I have a shitty run and I see that we did everything perfectly then that's for real a shitty run because then you don't know what to fix but as long as you know what to fix if you find an issue then I'm happy because I know that okay we can fix this like I can do that better or we could tune that better or we could you know <clears throat> change that part or we could whatever it is as long as we find an issue then then I'm then I'm all right then you know that you can just move forward I love that. I love how you're sort of ironing out the 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 creases of 
where you're not being as effective. You know, you're looking at the car, you're looking at yourself. You know, it's like, can I be a better athlete? Could I be better off the line? You know, what's the data say? Could the parts be fixed? You know, replaced if something's malfunctioning. I love how you you know you don't take it personally. You're just looking to become a better racer, and that is so unique. You know, a lot of people would just bitch and moan and oh, the end of the world. You're kind of just going. What do I need to do? You know how how do I become a better racer? Because when you yeah, mentioned, and I mean, it- you kind of have to also because it's not just about me. When we are there, of course, people see me as the driver. Usually, uh, I'm the one, you know, standing there signing an autograph. But it's so much more than just me. It's the whole team, and we are we're several guys, and you know, there's so much going into it. So, I if I mess up, I let them down. So that's why I also have to be, you know, you know, I let myself down because I want to be the best version of myself, but I also let them down. And that's the thing when everybody strives to do their absolute best, whether it's me or it's the heads guys or the clutch guys or the bottom end guy or the tuner, whatever it is, when everybody strives to be the absolutely best at what they do, that's when you can find that at least close to perfection because like i said i don't think perfection exists in this because then it would be boring then you know you can't do more <laughs> but but the thing is that's when you get these absolutely record-setting runs or you know wins that just feels amazing when everybody pulls the work in and you don't want persons that kind of you know, if something messes up, that kind of says it wasn't me or I couldn't have done anything different. You want people to look at what they did and see if they could have done it better. And I think if you have that mental, uh, like, uh, if you if you think about it in that way, that you want to kind of find an issue or you want to kind of find something that you can get even better, that's when mm-hmm. you keep moving forward all the time. Uh, because if you just look at what you do and you feel that it's perfect all the time, someone else is going to outrun you because they probably found something that they can do a little bit better. Because, I mean, a lot of people, you know, like who are maybe like hobbyists would come in and they would take part in the sport, do their races and then say, OK, and then they'll come back to it in a couple of months when, you know, just before the first season and get the car ready and stuff like that. And I love how, like, you know, you're always looking to be a better athlete, always looking better cognitive speed, you know, faster reaction speed um, to be just to become a better athlete, you know. But the fact that you're doing this while running a business, it's phenomenal. I mean, you're kicking asses, you're winning things you're got the fastest record in europe like you know if these are a phenomenal things and for you to still consider yourself a hobbyist or a rookie and run a business how do you deal with that like how have you found running the business has the marketing side of things helped you in terms of like approaching sponsors has it helped you like with your social media is it almost like you need the both sides of it. Like, how how have you found running a business, uh, working full time, and doing this? Yeah, the thing is, uh, I would love to work, like I said, with drag racing full time. But as as we're not getting, you know, paid to run, so like you know, a lot of people that have seen, you know, they see Formula One on TV or they see this, you know, other forms of motorsport, they see the factory drivers uh getting a big paycheck when they show up at a race Hmm. um far too much yeah for us it's different i don't get paid to race i pay to race 
So I pay a huge amount of money per year to be in the car. So for me, I mean, you could buy a house for these kind of money, like <laughs> really nice ones, like every year. But the thing is, uh, I work with a lot of great sponsors and companies to to be able to get these money together so I can be in the car. But there's no money left over for me to live off. Uh, so I still put in a lot of my own money every year to, you know, be out there on the track, but I also have to work really hard to be able to, you know, pay my bills at home and everything. So, um, the thing was also, I'm, I'm an electrician from the beginning and that's what I did for many years, but then I worked as a store manager on this, uh, electric and plumbing company. Um, and I was, you know, managing several people and being away for sponsorship meetings or racing or so on started getting hard uh, I did have time you know to take out from that so I never wanted it to affect my work but that's where I mentally kind of felt like I don't want to be doing something half-hearted uh, and I don't want to have the people that I work with to eventually maybe suffer from for you know for me being away um so that's when i decided i had to open my own business and you know work for myself uh to be able to schedule my meetings and my racing as uh, as i could and i got the question from uh, another company here that i had helped a bit with marketing if i wanted to start working for them and this came like in a really good time for me uh so i asked them instead of being an employee of you is it all right if I start my own business and we work together instead so that's what I did so they were my first clients and then the company that I worked with before when I was the store manager there uh, they also wanted help with marketing so that was like my second client that I signed on and then this has kind of uh, changed and grown and uh, you know become different uh, during these years uh, the a few companies that was a really big client because they need a lot of work you know I set up websites and start all the social media and everything they have gone down to being a smaller client because now they just need maintenance and I help them with that and then I have gotten new clients on board and I help them uh, so there's a, it's a lot of hard work but the thing is I have to do it to be able to to live and still work on this dream uh, the marketing was I don't have a marketing degree or anything but I had done it for so many years for my own company uh, and I have done you know all of the online courses and stuff that you could take from you know still working a full-time job and not having to drop out and leave for school um, and then also the company that I worked with from before I worked nine years for them and I think for five years I did all of their marketing too so I did have um, a solid foundation in you know the marketing uh, works so from before and when I kind of announced that I was opening my own marketing company. I got several clients uh, that just, I have never done any advertisement, but they they asked if I was open for doing work for them. So that it kind of just really worked out really well for me. And now I'm just kind of, you know, working my way in that. But of course it helps with my own racing too, because when I do marketing for different companies, I learn a lot all the time because the algorithm, everything is changing. So to work with it on a daily basis just makes me be able to work with my own sponsors even better. So of course it helps me in my racing too, but to be honest, it's mainly to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect answer. But that's saying, I mean, I'm, I work full time in education and I certainly 
wasn't my career path but you know it pays me to buy a decent mic to buy a decent laptop you know but it's like it lets you do it and sometimes that's all it needs to be you know it's like and I think that's like you're saying it's you know you're always looking to improve yourself in that but if you need something that pays the bills you know you're always looking to be a better racer and you know like the likes of Kobe and all that you know they were never satisfied no matter what happened they were always wanting to get up and train and fix things and that but they get paid millions of dollars. We need to put food on the yeah. table. We need to pay for your house. Yeah. Um, and well. I mean, the marketing part of my racing is also so big, like working with, with companies and the social media and everything of that. I do really, really enjoy that. And it's such a big part of my, my racing. Uh, it's just that when I do it on my own company, usually, you know, if I work with my racing, I can work for five hours and then I look up and I'm like, oh shit, I thought it was 20 minutes because it's my racing. Mm. But then if I do the exact same thing for a company, uh, I'm very aware that it has been five hours. <laughs> like I still <laughs> do the work and like I, I know how to do it and everything like that. But it's just that it doesn't set my soul on fire. So that's the thing. That's why I would love to work solely with drag racing because that's that's where that's where I'm happy. I'm sure I'm sure that's coming because as your social media sort of empire grows, as your like your amazing achievements, you know, and as your sort of encouragements of like, you know, inspiring other people, more and more people are learning. And I think it's gonna become a better known sport in Europe because it's been a kind of global powerhouse in like America and things like that. And it's yeah. only only recently kind of growing into into the like you know into the europe's the around this area because it's something i yeah, can at do. least on the social media part or so on i mean it's always mm-hmm. been drag racing has have like an astonishing track record so to say like in europe but it hasn't the european drag racers haven't been really out there on like social media or working marketing on the same way uh but they are getting better like it's 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 improving all the time. <laughs> if only there was a lady who could teach them marketing. You know? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, what, I had to start a course. <laughs> so what advice would you give then to say somebody who was wanting to get into it? You know, because as the people are realizing now that we need to have the social media you know, um, platform, that we have to sell ourselves, that we have to engage with the fans and stuff like this, for people who would like to get into racing, what advice would you give them about, you know, finding a team, working well with a pit crew, to selling your your career, your journey, your racing online, you know, to build a fan base? What how is it just a case of just going and enjoying it and just letting your enjoyment show and build a following through that? What advice would you give to somebody who's just interested in taking part in the sport and potentially making, you know, following in your your footsteps? Yeah, I think especially when you talk about the social media part of it, one thing that I have found that that races here in Europe have been, you know, less great at has been to share content all year round. Usually it was if we have six events a year, uh, then they make six posts a year saying that I've been at an event. Here is the recap. But the thing is, uh, on social media, people want to see the real side of you they just they don't just want to see your race car they want to see who's inside how they live like what what you do on your spare time for me when i started my social media it was never about growing a following or anything like that in the beginning it was just sharing what i was doing i shared what i loved what was going on and i also 
thought that, okay, this might be boring, uh, you know, just working in the garage on the bike, but this is what I do. So I'm going to show it. So when we worked on the bike in the garage, we started showing that, okay, we are putting the head together. We are adjusting wall clearance or whatever we did. We just shared it on our social media channels. And I was impressed by how many people were actually really interested in that because from the beginning, you kind of have this mindset, oh, they just want to see our performance on track. But the thing is, they want to see what goes on behind closed doors. And I think the more you share about stuff that that are a little, you know, exclusive, uh, like if you are uh, if you're on a test session, show them behind the scenes, show the things that that you won't see on the you know live stream, show them the exclusive content that they can just see on your page. That is, you know, how we set up the car or how uh, what our strategy is so whatever it is like try and share more uh, thing that you things that you might you know think would be boring try and share it see what works because for me like I said it was never about building a following I just started sharing stuff and then we saw the following go up and when I started having a bigger following that's when I found out like okay this is a fantastic platform for my sponsors and that's when I started to working with brands to see like all right, uh, let's say Sonoroto turbos. Uh, we wanted to have a Sonoroto turbo on our bike. We had been uh, working with Sonoroto and, and Tile for years. What better way for them to you know, get return on investment from our partnership than to show everybody what we actually do with this new turbo and how it can improve our performance on track? So we started with you know, showing when everything got home, how does the turbo look like, what's different from the other one we had and you know explaining stuff about it then we did some videos showing when we mounted it how we you know made changes for it we built a new custom exhaust and why we did that and stuff like that then when we got to track and we set a new record uh, like a new track record first uh, first event everybody was kind of even more happy for us because they knew how hard we had worked to get that you know, new engine combo and setup and everything. And, you know, for Sona as a partner to be along for all all of that, not just, you know, oh, we ran a record, uh, we have a Sona rotor, but like people could actually see the difference it made from the other brand we used before to when we swapped for this and the changes we made, like to see our on-track performance. I think it's stuff like that that can get... Uh, you know, real tight bonds with your uh, with your sponsors, and the same we this we were running like a new turbo that they hadn't really launched on the market yet. Like they they this was like the first uh, like the, the the first version of it, so to say. So we were trying stuff and we were sending them data, and they could look at that data and then they could make an even better one to put on market for people to use and we could see you know just year after that several riders were changing to the sonar rotor and i would think that we had an impact in that and that's when you can see what you can do with your social media channels and then it starts to be you know like a you can run it as a business you see you you use it as a tool in your yeah in your uh, how to say like racing program <laughs> I love that. I mean, I love how you it's it sort of stems from your passion and your love of the sport. You know, like you're wanting to share 
all the I mean, the fun stuff you do and like you know oh we've just got a new like a new turbo on our machine and we want to share it and then people get involved into it and want to re- know the racing and i think that's the beauty of so- social media and that now is the world's a smaller place so we want to find out more yeah. about it so when we find amazing people like yourself we kind of go okay what makes her her okay she's got this amazing race oh wow look at that video okay i want to know a bit more about the car oh right i want to know what the pit crew are doing there i want to know more and then when people come to and see how nice you are to them and you know like how you're just that's just an extension of your personality and you're you know you make the time for them they come to a race they get inspired they maybe try it it's it's amazing how you're doing this and you're running a business and you're in a relationship and you know it's you to to even call yourself like a rookie i think it's amazing how you're you're not aware of how truly awesome you are at this and i think that's something is that probably makes you you you're always looking to get better but you're also just having a great fun with us you know and you just want you're wanting to make this a just a passion something you can do for your life you're not looking this for fame and money you're doing this because you love it and there's there's not many people in a lot of sports nowadays sadly who who are like that you know there's a lot of people get lost in the journey when they start making a bit of money you get a bit of attention you're doing it the right yeah. way. You should be super the proud thing is of what for you're me, doing. You know, I've been at the ra- racetrack and racing for 20 years. So I've been doing this for a long time before I was ever on social media or, you know, had sponsors or did it. I've, I've always done it just because I love it. Uh, and then the thing for me is also I don't have the money myself to run on this level. So for me, it's absolutely crucial to have sponsors and great partners. And then I owe it to them to find the best ways possible we can work together and how to, you know, make these connections and make these investments work. Because the thing is sponsorship, I kind of cringe when I see people write on social media, there's sponsorship uh, possibilities available on our team, contact us. It's like, it doesn't work like that because the thing is, a sponsorship is, it's a partnership. You work together. You're basically hired by that company to do work for them to get bring the money back because people will not give you money just to give you money because they want return on investment you wouldn't even put in money if you didn't know you get more back otherwise you could might as well just put your money in the bank and have them grow there so if someone invests invests in you and your racing operation it's because they see potential and they want to grow and you have to show them that potential you have to show them how you can make sales for them how you could you know make their company grow or whatever it is that that their goal is like that's the important thing is and that's when you know the business part of racing gets so important and i know that many of the big teams for example in us they have people doing this they have people that are the best at signing these like putting these deals together and what to do for for the teams but i don't have the money to have someone hired to do this so I just have to do it myself and I have to be good at it. So that's that's another thing. Like I see that this is something I have to do for my racing and I have to be good at it. Then I look at it the same way as I have to be the best driver possible. I have to be the best at this possible to make the dream happen. So it kind of all goes together. <laughs> no, it's a fantastic answer and it shows you that you know, life has a way of thinning out people who are in it for the wrong reason. You know, that because you need to be the best driver, you need to be the best athlete you can be, the best person you can be, that 
to to just do this as a hobby. It shows you that you're willing to put the effort in, and I think that really comes out in you know like your your videos into your racing, etc. You're not you're doing it for the right reasons, and you know I think it, the universe has a way of thinning out people who are just in it for the you know the fast back and stuff like that. And this is why I'm so glad to find people like you who I know can inspire people and we can learn about stuff that we're maybe not sure about, but we can pick off these unique things that you do that makes you, you, and, you know, utilize these in our own life. But what do you want your brand or your evolution to be just to do this full time? Or do you want to continue to keep inspiring, to keep opening up eyes onto the platform to kind of, you know, make become an, like an ambassador for the sport in this new modern age of social media and things and the thing is um for me i don't think i would be able to do it as well if my focus would be to inspire or to be an ambassador or so on i think when you do something you really love and you want to do it uh, the best you possibly can and like for me i i want to win championships i want to be the best i want to you know I have, of course, lower goals than that, too. It's not like I, I have some sort of really... But the thing is, you have to uh, you have to aim high and then set low goals on the way. And for me, of course, one, wanting to race full-time, that, that's one of the goals I have. Winning a championship, of course, is one of the goals. And, you know, there's a lot of those things. And I then hope to inspire and motivate people on the way, but that's not why I do it. I don't do it for anybody else to be honest I do it for me I do it because I love it I do it because it's what makes me happy and it's what you know drives me to do anything in life to to be honest and then that I get to inspire people and that I get to you know uh, motivate or you know be that person it just really makes me happy and of course if someone wants me to do something around that you know I, I have I've done uh, you know, work with the mentor stuff or so on. Uh, I am absolutely for it, but that's not the reason why I'm here. I'm I want to do it because I want to be the best driver, and and I just love to do it. So, yeah, I bet if more people did that, actually, you know, just did it for themselves and everything else, but just became an offshoot of it. You know, you didn't go out to inspire, but you, you know, you just inspired people by you just doing. You know, yeah, if more people did that, I think the world would be a better place. Um. I can't believe we've been on for an hour and a half. Like, you know, I'm, I know we're <laughs> I'm way... I'm sorry. If, if when you, it's racing, it's easy to talk for me. <laughs> it feels like, I mean, you're somebody I could speak to for hours and I would love to get you <laughs> back on and, you know, and we can go further into things. But for people who, you know, like, what would you say to people as their message until we can do a round two, until we can, you know, like really focus on things and get you back in and join with other people and stuff? What would you want people to take as a message from this? Is it just to live your passion? I mean, or what, what do you think people should remember from this interview? Yeah, of course. I think live your passion and don't be afraid to re like try and go for those high goals. Like I said, just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it can't be done. I I remember and I've mentioned this before in some interview that Something that kind of stuck with me was when I was in US and I was gonna race on the 
world finals uh, on the new bike I had bought and I hadn't been on a bike since my crash. I spoke to another Swedish guy that was there racing and I told him like, to be honest, I'm nervous. Uh, I'm not nervous to get on the bike, but it's just, I'm nervous because these guys are the best in the world. Like they are the top of the top and they are so incredibly good at what they do. And I just don't want to mess up. And he just like, like it was the simplest thing ever. He just said like, if they can do it, we can do it. Like what's separating them from us? What makes them so different? Like they're, they're not special in any way that they have something that, that makes them be able to do this that you don't have. Like they were rookies at one time too. Just if, if they are able to do it, you will too. Just go out there and do it. And to be honest, even if they weren't able to do it, you might still be able to do it too. Just go for it. So it's like, I think it kind of stuck with me. And I remember thinking about this when I was going to take my license in the top fuel and, you know, getting a little nervous. And I just felt like there's so many people before me that have done this. Uh, so why why shouldn't I be able to? Like, there's there's nothing stopping me. Just just go for it so fantastic answer i love that and until we can get another one until we can go like um really get into things how can people keep in touch you know how can we follow you on social media like what's your like facebook instagram stuff like you've got a cracking website some amazing videos on youtube how can we find you on these platforms Oh, thank you. I'm con- constantly working on all that and working on building my my YouTube channel up too. But you can find me on both YouTube and Facebook on Ida Setterström Drag Racing. Uh, then on Instagram, I have a name that's Dragsterfia in Swedish, but it's Dragster FIA. That's easy to find it. But if you search uh, Ida Setterström, you will find me there too. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm mostly active, Instagram, and then I try to work Facebook and YouTube as much as possible. But you can also see my website, and on my website is um, Uh Over there you find uh, like videos and other podcasts and s- sort of those kind of stuff if you want to read more. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.